So who has a car? Yeah, me too. You're listening to the Clean Sailors podcast, all about sea, marine, sailing, and keeping it clean. I'm your host, Holly, founder of Clean Sailors and a sailor myself with a passion for the health of our mighty oceans. In our podcast, we explore some of the areas in which sailing and our wider marine industry can become that bit cleaner. Through conversations with experts, innovators, inventors, and activists, all working towards improving the health of our seas, We showcase the people and projects changing the way things are done. Normally, when we think about emissions, we think transport. Cars in particular, probably planes. And sure, most cars, unless you're a Tesla owner, still release emissions into our atmosphere. Official statistics show that, interestingly, after our food production and our energy consumption, Cars, planes, and international shipping are the highest contributors to the emissions we collectively pump into our air annually. So, cars themselves, unless you have a Tesla, are emitting lots, but they've also got a whole chunk of emissions built into their journey to us as consumers. So, if cars have the highest percentage of transport emissions globally, followed by air and shipping, what about shipping cars? Bear with me. Car manufacturing takes place around the world. And in most countries, you can buy most car brands in a truly connected global industry. Estimates show that on average, over 60 million cars are sold worldwide each year. That's six zero million, 60 million. Even in 2020, when our world slowed down a bit. Okay, a lot, but still 60 million. So given that we can buy most car brands in most countries, What about the international shipping of the cars themselves? Now, traditional car carriers are powered by diesel in a system called RORO, meaning literally roll on at one location, roll off at another. These traditional car carriers consume about 40 tonnes of fuel per day, which is insane. Understandable given their size, but still insane. And the really sad thing is they generate around 120 tonnes of CO2 in that daily journey. Now, to paint that as a clearer picture, one traditional car carrier is releasing about 120 tonnes of CO2. You and I would have to drive the equivalent of 270,000 miles in a day to release the same amount of emissions. So it really gives us an idea of how gas guzzling these huge carriers are. So something has to change, right? Well, I caught up with Per Tunnel, Chief Operating Officer at Wellenius Marine the Swedish company looking to make car carriers cleaner. The Ocean Bird is their new ship, designed by Wellenius, looking to carry around 7,000 vehicles across our oceans, near silently and powered by sails. So, Pert, thank you so much for joining us today and from Ocean Bird, based in Sweden. We'd love to get to know you and your project a little bit further. I mean, obviously, we understand that around... Two to three percent of all greenhouse gas emissions potentially come from the cargo shipping cargo industry. What is it really that prompted perhaps you and your team to set up Oceanbird and change shipping in particular? 
Shipping is a, I mean, that is a very important part in, in the society today with the globalization and everything, but it also contributes to a lot of, of harmful emissions. And that's not sustainable. We cannot continue doing that. We only have this planet and we need to protect it. So that's kind of the background why we are doing, trying to do something about it. It's something we've been working with for a very, very long time in different aspects. But already in mid-90s, we started kind of digging into what's the big shipping problems and trying to solve those step by step. But with the Ocean Bird, we are trying to take a, more, a bigger step towards our vision of emission-free shipping and truly sustainable shipping. And just describe then, what is Ocean Bird? So Ocean Bird is the concept that we've been working on, where we are trying to make shipping totally emission-free or totally sustainable, truly sustainable, as we call it. We are using the wind. That's why we're, what, what we are trying to achieve and we're trying to do. We have identified that wind is probably the most interesting power source of, of energy when it comes to deep sea shipping, at least. So that's what we're trying to explore. And we have then developed a concept, which we are now calling the ocean bird concept. We are equipping the ship or the vessel with rigid wing sails and using those as propulsion for, for, for the ship. And in terms of when you say deep sea shipping, you're meaning sort of transporting cargo across oceans around the world. Exactly. And deep sea shipping is normally what we are using as a term when you're crossing the oceans. And, and then you have the short sea shipping where you're going coastline and, and so on across the coast. But this is specifically interesting when it comes to deep sea shipping, where you can then choose also, depending on weather situation, you could actually route the vessel in to get a favorable winds. And do you feel then that actually shipping in its obviously ocean bird, and we'll talk a little bit more about the, the ship itself, but do you feel that the shipping in itself remains intrinsically important to our sort of global economies, that shipping is always going to be there and it's not something that we in itself should remove or try and change, that shipping routes should stay the same. We just literally need to change the way that we're shipping, the way that their ships are created, the kind of resources that they're using to get around. You can attract sustainability from many sides, but I, I truly believe that globalization is good for us. We have, we are, that's kind of taking care of a lot of difficulties we have been struggling with and, and getting people to really move around the globe is good. I think so. I, I truly believe it. And, and not only people, but also using materials and using goods from across the world. So I think that shipping will be there. I think shipping is, or, or, or globalization and transport of goods is good for us. So what we are, are try, trying to do is to make it sustainable, transport. Get it. And your sort of ship, and we'll obviously show some pictures of your prototype, it looks cool and spacey. I mean, it looks futuristic. What is it about your technology, perhaps, that you feel is better than employing perhaps the traditional methods of sailing? I mean, we used to use around the world sort of clipper ships for centuries. Why is it important that you've moved that kind of ethos forward rather than backwards? These vessels are going to be operated like 270 days a year. So they're going to be on the ocean almost always. So as, as much as possible, that's where they are, you make, we are making use of the vessels. So it's super important that they are reliable and that they are durable. 
that's kind of why we are, are looking at rigid solutions rather than a fabric sale. Mm-hmm. But also, we need to find a really efficient solution. And a wing rig like this is so much more efficient than we have seen other solutions. There are ways to make wings even more efficient, but there, need, there is a combination and there is a balance between safety, durability, reliability, and efficiency. Mm-hmm. So that's why the balance between all these things has been, been moving us in this direction towards these kind of a, a win rigs. Sure, and it's incredibly interesting. I think even just being where I am at the moment, you sort of see wind turbines sort of covering the hills, the sort of the quest for renewable energy and using it effectively and efficiently has been ongoing for a long time. And it hasn't quite been cracked because you'll see these wind turbines onshore and offshore being switched off actually when it's the windiest because yeah. the sort of the issue is storing the capacity and the energy generated by renewable sources is is still a nut to crack i guess with yeah. sailing your ambition or you're you're moving right so you're using the wind to actually transport yourself from a to b and i guess that's something that obviously has been tried and tested incredibly well i mean what is it around the ship itself i mean some of the biggest inspiration for you seems to have come from potentially aircraft. Why are your sort of rigid sails better or more efficient than sails, canvas sails? <laughs> I think, yeah, maybe not so much inspired by aircraft. The wings are very, looks very, very much like an aircraft wing. But I think inspiration has been a lot of, on, on just finding solutions to become more sustainable. And of course, one source of inspiration has, of course, been the America's Cup yachts that we have been seeing the last 10 years, maybe, where both foiling solutions and more kind of a rigid wing sails are proven to be super efficient. It's been, we have, of course, in your mind, you're also, of course, considering, is it possible to make a foiling solution for cargo shipping? We haven't found that solution yet, but... Incredible. And think also just the feat of engineering. I mean, I appreciate the wind as a natural force feels like the most simplest thing to work with, but actually making it, you know, transporting the size of the cargo and also the weight of the cargo in good time. Because I guess that's another thing, right, is that shipping is pretty economical, dare I say it, not so much for the environment, but it's pretty cheap. And it's relatively fast, but we know with sailing that it's some going very short distances in a very long time. <laughs> you know, it can take you a couple of days to get somewhere that you could fly to in, in hours. So yeah. what is the potential downside of shipping by sail cargo? You're, you're touching, upon, touching upon it. I mean, it's the speed. You could, of course, also argue that reliability and scheduled reliability would be a challenge. But we we are kind of in this in this concept. We are not without an engine. We will have an engine on board, and that's just to be able to to meet a schedule. So when the when the winds are unfavorable and when we are going in and out of ports, we're gonna start up an engine. So that's why we're not going to reach our full vision of totally emission-free shipping, but we are going to reach at least 90% reduction of the emissions. That's, that has been our target from the start of this project. Mm-hmm. But speed is going to be, to achieve this, we will need to reduce the speed a little bit. Traditionally, the, the type of vessels that we are operating is operated at about 16 knots or so. But we will be able, we've seen from the simulations, from the, the calculations we've been do- doing, 
that we will at, at least be able to reach a scheduled speed of 10 knots. Incredible. Uh, and still meet our 90% reduction of, of energy consumption. Gosh, that's pretty impressive. And also, again, just playing to the, I think because shipping is such an incredibly well-oiled logistical system. Yeah. And in some ways, when you're coming along with a new project and a new prototype, which is changing that system to some respects, you're right, you've got to, in, you've got to maintain the reliability as far as possible. So it would make sense to have an engine, not least for getting in and out in places and in tricky spots. Exactly. We all know that happens yeah. in port, but in case also there is no wind, dare I say it. Yeah. I mean, this is even across the Atlantic, you can... It happens, days. yeah, exactly. And I think this was maybe one of our biggest challenges, in the, what we thought would be the biggest challenge in the beginning, that the cargo owners, that that they would be hesitant on reducing the speed, that speed would be very, very important. But what we have learned so far from those who has been in contact with us, that that's, the speed isn't that big of an issue. Of course, it's not unimportant. It's important, but it's not that important. So it's as long as you could keep the schedule and you could have a reliable schedule, that is, that is okay. Isn't I think also that it, this, is, this is super interesting, actually, for, because I think we wouldn't have been able to pull this off 10 years ago. Mm-hmm. Not because of the technology, partly because of the technology, but mostly because of the acceptance and the acceptance in society. I think I, I have seen, I've worked with these issues for a long time now, and I've seen in the last few years, it's, we have been moving in a society where before people were kind of looking only at cost, only at price, and didn't care too much on the environment and those kind of things. But really, there has been growing demand for sustainable solutions. And I've seen it very clear the last few years. I think that is playing in our favor as well. So the time in some ways is, is now. The time is now. Yeah, absolutely. And shipping is going through it. I'm 100% sure that shipping is going through a radical transition right now. We just started it. And to your point around speed, I mean, I think in some ways, much of the opportunity lies in changing the way we expect things to arrive and the time in which things arrive. I mean, we've got dangerously used to ordering something one day and it being delivered on our front doorstep the next morning, whether it's food. I mean, we get grocery shopping within hours, you know, takeaways, Amazon deliveries, etc. So we've got this, our consumption culture is also driven by the expedience with which we can receive anything that we've ordered. And I guess in some ways by slowing down shipping even slightly, and slowing down the process or at least changing to more sustainable methods would potentially reset that, do you think? Not necessarily. I think we will find different logistics setups. It might slow down that a little bit, but I think still that if you're finding different logistics setups, you might able be able to kind of, at least for a lot of, of goods, be able to have the same door from factory to consumer or at the same time, from factory to consumer, as you have today, even though the transport over the ocean is slightly slower. So there are a lot of efficiency gains to be done also in other areas where you could shorten the time. Do you feel then that, I mean, what is your kind of vision with OceanBird? Are you selling the sort of the ships to other companies to use? Are you leasing them? Or are you becoming a, a sort of business to business direct partner with companies or brands that want to be using and shipping around the world? 
We are a ship design company and ship manager. We have close connections and in our group, we also have ship owners. So we have quite recently, the ship owner in our group declared that they are also into this project. So now we have a, a ship owner that has the intention to go, th- go further with this. But our intention is, of course, to we want to contribute to the transition of shipping. We come from the Roro and the vehicle carrying segment, so transporting cars and rolling equipment. But of course, this could be used, this solution could be used for other segments of shipping as well. So that is our intention, of course, to develop this and promote this to other types of shipping as well. We would like to have this as widespread as possible and give the possibility to take those steps also in other segments. Super. I think one of the most exciting things too, coming from sort of our ocean conservation perspective is is how much quieter, arguably, ocean birders' shipping vessels will be in comparison to the traditional cargo ships, which, you know, not just churning out diesel, but also are very noisy. And you extrapolate, you know, compound that by the number of ships that are heading across our oceans every minute of every day. And that's a pretty noisy ocean. I mean, appreciating that you know, the noise, in, the noise from shipping disrupts breeding patterns. Obviously, species like whales and dolphins in particular yeah. rely on quiet seas to communicate with each other. And we know even in ourselves how stressful, you know, super noisy environments can be. Is that something that you have thought about? I mean, appreciating ocean bird is then going to be pretty quiet, no? Absolutely. Yeah, that's going to be pretty quiet. So this was actually, it was not in our plans from the beginning. And that was kind of not one of the objectives with the project, but it's as a positive side effect. We, of course, understand that this, it's going to be much more quiet. It's become a very positive side effect, of course. Sure. No, it makes, makes complete sense. I think it's very exciting to see that even if it was a second order result of your project, exactly. that actually revolutionizing shipping in almost every sense is pretty exciting. It feels like the pressure is... It- positively on you (laughs) deliver this cool new mechanism and do you feel I mean what's the process what stage of the process are you in at the moment in terms of your prototype and when do you plan to launch and how many ships etc so how many ships as I mentioned we want to have as many ships as possible in this in this with this kind of solution we are in the process of still designing the wing there is a lot of designing still to be done we have been prototyping or we have been testing with a small scale demonstrator. I'm not sure if you've seen the videos, but there are some videos presented with the small scale demonstrator where we, which we're actually sailing in just outside Stockholm. But of course, before we put five of these huge wings on top of a new built vessel, we would probably want to see a full scale demonstrator or full scale prototype. On shore, yes, to understand the effects of this. How do you move it? How do you move it around? How do you refit? How do you to, to control it? So we are in the process of, of, of designing that as well and finding a spot for that as well. What we hope to be able to do, I mean, the, the technology is pretty, we are pretty far ahead in, in the development. So we are in the approval in principle process with the classification society. We believe we should be able to make a contract that's according to the plan we should be able to make a contract with a shipyard maybe mid next year which would enable a vessel to be launched and in operation by early 2025 incredible so so that's kind of the time plan going forward that's very exciting do you focus on the sort of atlantic passage as your core focus or are you going to 
you're planning also to literally just do globally? We are looking globally. We have used the Atlantic in many of our simulations, but we've also made simulation on the Pacific and, and other places as well. We need to be able to operate these vessels globally. We cannot just restrict them to a specific area. So they can be operated globally. But we have used the Atlantic just as, as a reference for many of our cases. Sure. And just to confirm, we'll make the links that you're referring to in terms of the simulations and otherwise and the demonstration of what Ocean Bird looks like available with the podcast, because it really is quite exciting to see something of this scale challenging, a, you know, like I mentioned, a well-oiled industry, but also an incredibly traditional one in some senses as well. Yeah, and it's easy to describe. It's not easy to describe the looks of the ocean bird in, in, in a podcast. So, so have a look at those things. Absolutely. And just in terms of, say, practicality as a ship, how many sort of crew do you need? Is there anything that's also very unusual in comparison to sort of the traditional cargo ships? Because I appreciate often when you're out in the ocean as a sailing boat and you come across a tanker, which you obviously try and avoid at all costs, they often aren't manned. I mean, surprisingly, some of these huge ships making these passages at relatively speedy paces have very, very limited crew. And a lot of it is obviously done by technology. How many people do you need on board to operate Ocean Bird? We are looking at similar crew size as we have on the traditional vessels of today. So we have about 20 people on board. There might be a different need of, of expertise, but the wing itself and the operation of the wing is going to be as automated as possible. So it's not like you're going to be, be running and, and, and looking at the winds, wind direction and sheet wings accordingly. It's going to be automated by sensors and, 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 and automation systems. But of course, there's going to be a requirement on maintenance also on these wings. There's going to be, so that's going to add a little bit on, on but on the other hand, the engine will not operate as much. And that's kind of where most of the maintenance is done today. So it's going to be less maintenance on the engine and the engine system. And then, of course, a little bit more maintenance on the, on the wing solutions. So we are thinking and we are estimating that we're going to be around the same number of people on board as, as, as today. Okay. And I think probably one of the most interesting questions for me is actually about shipping containers, because... You know, 2020, for example, was a year of a lot of things, which we won't go into. But shipping containers, it was, it was a year when the most shipping containers fell from cargo ships ever around the world. And this is obviously a well-known issue, dare I say it in some ways, opportunity, is how do we make shipping containers stay where they're supposed to, but appreciating that they're heavy, that ships encounter storms, obviously there was time pressure and economic pressure on getting to port as quickly as possible and actually loading these ships up as high as possible to, again, make them as most economically effective as they can. But, you know, these things carry cars and chemicals and toothbrushes, which often which get washed up on beaches all over the world when these things fall off. Is there, I mean, Ocean Bird, looking at Ocean Bird's sort of hull, you're storing the cargo inside the boat. Is that right? That is right. And this shipping segment that we comes from. So if you're if you're asking about the lost containers, you should go to some of the container industry guys because I don't come from that sector. The cargo we are transporting is normally cars or, or other rolling equipment. Our traditional vessels are equipped with like 13 decks where you are kind of driving in the cars. You're storing the cars and the rolling equipment inside the vessel. 
So it makes it very, it makes it very good for these kind of solution because you are the open deck space on top of the vessel is, is free from any restrictions or, or so. So a container vessel is more challenging when it comes to fitting with sails like this because then you have the container cranes moving above the vessel when loading and discharging. So it's more more challenging. But it's I guess to your point at the moment, you're carrying the cargo then safely ultimately for your clients, but yeah. it's also stored within inside the ship. So it's not exactly. in danger of falling off into the into no. the seas and they get heavy. But I think that's an interesting one, particularly as perhaps you develop away from cars. Is there another solution? I mean, you mentioned sort of cranes obviously operating on top of cargo ships because they drop these containers onto the deck and stack them up. But that's not to say that that's the only way of doing it, right? I mean, innovation could decide in the future that there is a way in which they're all enclosed and encapsulated to prevent, you know, for your for customers and clients, their goods being lost overboard. And obviously from an environmental perspective and certainly for sailors as we're heading around the seas, hoping not to hit into yeah. any of these. But of course, of course, there is nobody's interest to lose a container. There is also mm-hmm. the owner of the container and the cargo inside the container. And so, so there is nobody's interest to lose a container, of course. So it's right uh, in that sense for innovation. Yeah, absolutely. Absolutely. But then, of course, also, I mean, shipping is a very, it's a very low cost activity. You are expecting these containers or the cargo to be delivered across the ocean at almost no cost at all. So as long as you're doing that, of course, there will be solution that trying to meet that expectation. And there is a balance, of course. I guess it would be possible also to store the containers inside the vessel, but then it wouldn't be as efficient as sure. it is today. Sure. No, it's a very and good the cost point. For ship, and the cost for shipping would then increase. So, I guess that's always a risk, right? I mean, we talked at the very beginning about how this is a, a great time for you in terms of developing the prototype for Ocean Bird and, and looking to launch it because there is so much more interest in cleaner seas and fewer emissions, etc. I think the next step in some ways is legislation and that always takes a long time to catch up, but there may be a point in which areas of shipping become regulated against and therefore innovation has to happen rather than it being an, a sort of a entrepreneurial opportunity in that sense. Absolutely. So, and regulations are always being discussed in, in IMO, the International Maritime Organization, and it's always getting stricter and stricter, which is good. It needs to happen. But I think there is also, in order to create these regulations, you also, many times you need an example that it's possible. So I hope that Ocean Bird and similar projects could provide us an example that it's possible to do something big and really create a change in shipping. I think it's an incredible point because because this is such an old industry in that sense. I mean, we've been shipping for, well, as long as we've been using the sea, really. It's been an incredibly effective way of moving goods and ourselves. There is a massive opportunity. I guess in some ways it's seeing this all as an opportunity and an opportunity to innovate, which is an incredibly intrinsic part of being human in in that sense. We never go back, right? We've never said, okay, let's scrap the cars and all go back to bicycles. We just don't work like that. We try and work forwards. So I think this is going to be an incredibly interesting arena in the next five to 10 years for sure in how we solve some of these big problems with the coolest, most exciting, interesting technology and engineering. I fully agree. And it's not only shipping, but shipping, that's where I am. I see that that there is a 
big move going on. It's it's going to it's we're going to see a huge transition in, in not too far distance. Well, we'll watch you closely and can't wait to see how your project develops over the coming years and the best of luck with it. And as I said, we'll share all of the links to your project alongside this podcast so that we can show that change is possible and innovation is possible and that the shipping industry can look pretty different in the future. And we together can keep the seas clean together. Right. Absolutely. We're with you on that one, Per. (laughs) I know that. I know that. That's fantastic. You've been listening to the Clean Sailors podcast. All relevant links to the projects and people we talk to can be found with the podcast link. For all episodes or to get in touch, just visit cleansailors.com. We love to hear from you. We believe that great ideas should be shared, which is why our podcast is free to appear on. So if you've got a project, idea or topic you think we should be discussing, get in touch. In the meantime, thank you for listening and see you for the next episode.